but with purpose. You find yourself. Love life. Hey, this is David Vaughn. I'm so glad that you're watching today. I'm right in the middle of the landing. As you can see behind me, we got food stacked up and stocked up to help people, which is we're all about that right now, providing help and hope. I'm here to talk to you today about how Jesus is better than the storm. When the Andrea Gale left Gloucester Harbor in Massachusetts on September 20th, 1991 and headed into the North Atlantic, no one could have ever known that that fishing boat would never be seen again. There was a film, maybe some of y'all saw it, with George Clooney that chronicled this once-in-a-century storm. You know the name of it, the perfect storm, because multiple deadly elements all converged at the point on the planet, the same place where the little Andrea Gale was. The last radio transmission of the captain of the Andrea Gale came at 6 p.m. on October 28, 1991. He reported his coordinates to the captain of a sister ship saying, she's coming on boys, she's coming on strong. And I would say the same thing to you today in this unprecedented environment and this corona epidemic. She's coming on, boys. She's coming on strong. I think it's safe to say that all of us right now are in the middle of this perfect storm, this massive unprecedented waves of fear and cancellations, closures, quarantines, anxiety. And what we should, should we do about it? I mean, I've been praying about that. I bet it's been on your mind. Well, what should Jesus followers do? And better yet, what should those still checking out this Jesus thing do? And I have some suggestions. I know you're surprised. I want to look today at a perfect storm story that's detailed in Acts chapter 27. It's written by, of all people, a doctor named Luke. And we've been talking here at Whitewater about how Jesus is better. And Luke here is going to illustrate how Jesus is better than even a storm. He chronicles this early Christian leader, Paul, and his voyage to the imperial city of Rome. A little background here, Paul is a prisoner because of his belief in Jesus. And believing that he could not get a fair trial in Israel, he exercised his right as a Roman citizen to stand trial before Caesar. And the chapter that we're going to look at in Acts 27 documents how Paul was transported from Israel to Rome in Italy. Now, no one would sail to Italy now, I know. But Paul travels under the supervision of a Roman military commander named Julius and some other companions. They had made it to this little port town called Harbor Town. I, oh, I had some of y'all there. No, I was just seeing if the kids were listening. It's actually called Fair Havens. And they stayed there and they waited it out for a while. And if they'd have waited longer, everything would have been fine. However, the soldiers, the sailors on board the ship wanted to go about 30, 40 miles further to a port called Phoenix and spend the winter there because it had a better harbor to protect the ship. It was a bigger town with more activity, which I'm told is important to sailors and soldiers. Well, as we examine the narrative of Acts 27, I want to give you two words that describe the two ways I've seen people react when they find themselves in the middle of a crisis or a storm. First is impatient. That's often the first reaction. Problems always become worse when we are impatient, especially in a crisis. Verse 9 here begins by saying, much time had been lost. See, the crew was in a hurry. They had lost a lot of time already due to some bad weather. They wanted to make up for lost time. And impatience is often a major factor when a crisis and a storm hits. By the way, I can relate to that. I didn't want to run out of coffee for what I saw was an upcoming quarantine. So I went out really quickly, bought a bunch of K-cups. 
Uh, some hoard toilet paper. Pastor Vaughn hoards coffee. Oh, I got the goods if you for the right price. Anyway, when we try to get ahead of God, it always leads to trouble. Phillips Brooks was a noted Episcopalian pastor in Boston for many years. He once famously said, the trouble is I'm in a hurry and God is not. Imprudence is also another common reaction in crisis. Besides impatience, it's imprudence. We make bad decisions because of bad advice. In verse 16 here in our chapter, Paul says, hey guys, don't do this. You're asking for trouble by continuing to sail at this time of year. You could lose everything. But verse 11 says the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship. And sadly, Paul's advice was ignored and the ship sailed straight into the perfect storm of trouble. I bet all of us are influenced these days. We can be by experts and voices. Honestly, that's been one of the challenging aspects of dealing with this current coronavirus crisis. Who, who do you listen to? Everybody's telling us what to do. For sure, we want to listen to our medical experts right now. Just a kind of a sidebar here. One day Jesus met these 10 lepers who were themselves quarantined and isolated because of their contagious condition. They cried out to Jesus from a distance for healing. He said, go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, the Bible says they were healed. Now, why did Jesus require them to go show themselves to the priest? He could have said, hey, I'm like the ultimate high priest to end all priests. But Jesus willingly complied with the local authorities protocol who were charged with protecting the health of the community at large. And that's why we made the difficult but necessary decision to stop in-person gatherings here. Thank you for understanding. I've got very limited criticism about that. Most people understand. But with church doors shutting across America, it was time for us to show the world that the church really has never been about the building. Churches are not being closed. Buildings are being closed. You are watching this. You're the church and you are open for business. In the Old Testament, God had this temple for his people. But in the New Testament, God has a people for his temple. And you are the temple. You're the church of God. Well, back to our story, verse 13 says, when a gentle south wind began to blow, they thought they had obtained what they wanted, so they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. But notice what happened next in verse 14. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the nor'easter, the northeaster. Some of us who live on the coast of Virginia, I did for a while, we understand the northeaster. It swept down from the island. See, circumstances can change quickly in life, can't they? Life plans that once looked so promising can very suddenly take on a severe change of direction. I mean, think about it. Four weeks ago, the stock market was sailing sky high. Now it's experiencing historic losses. As a senior minister here, I just want to tell you, my staff and I are committed to steering the whitewater ship as best as humanly possible. We want to help others in very generous ways, both in and out of the church, while also being the best financial steward of the money that God has given us. This involves a great deal of trimming non-essential expenses, monitoring cash flow, keeping a prudent amount in reserve so that we can help our church members in the next few months because we don't know what's going to happen. We are resetting our priorities for the next 90 days and investing in building out for sure our online ministries. 
These proactive efforts will preserve our mission, ensure that the church is working right long after this storm and crisis is over. Well, when we get caught in a storm like this, besides impatience and imprudence, all of us tend to do three things that compound our situation. These lessons I'm going to give you today apply whether you're in this storm or another. And coincidentally, the people on board this ship that we are studying, they did the same three things. First thing we do in a storm is we just drift. There's a tendency for us when we're caught in a storm just to let go, to drift like aimlessly for a while, carried along by whatever circumstances might be around us. Verse 15 in this uh, tale says that the ship was caught by the storm and they could not head into the wind, so we gave way to it and were driven along. There are times when I bet, much like me, you feel overwhelmed, so you hunker down, you throw up your hands, you say, why fight it? And we just kind of drift along. C could I just ask you a question? How are you drifting right now? It's so imperceptible and easy, and, but understandable to do. Some of us are drifting away from God in this season. We're drifting away from each other, even though we're in close proximity. And when we do that, let me tell you what happens. We become a victim of our circumstances instead of a victor over our circumstances. The second behavior we typically display in rough waters is to discard. We move from drifting to discarding. That's what they did here. In verse 18, we see that while they were on this violent storm-tossed sea, they began to jettison their cargo. Verse 19 says the next day they threw the ship's tackle overboard as the storm got worse and they just kept throwing stuff away. They even threw away their supplies like behind us, their grain, their food was thrown overboard. I doubt they threw over their toilet paper. That's a whole other sermon. But anyway, verse 43 and 44 says they finally threw themselves overboard. Friend, in a crisis, we have a tendency to throw things away. And I'm not just talking about dumping our stocks. We may even be tempted to, to throw away the values that have anchored us so securely in better times. Because when we are under pressure, we want relief. We want it fast. We give up on our dreams. We throw away opportunities because all we see is obstacles. The third behavior that we see these sailors demonstrating and ones that I see occasionally here in our culture is despair. Some people drift when they're in a crisis. Some people discard. Some people just fall into a pit of despair. Verse 20 says, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. I, I smiled when I said, when I read that they couldn't see the sun or the stars, they couldn't get their direction, so they lost hope that they would ever come out of this alive. And friends, when you lose your hope, you're lost. The greatest enemy of humanity is not disease, friend, it's despair, provided gleefully by the prince of despair and darkness the evil one. Oh, he's having a heyday right now, but God's on the comeback. And into this seemingly hopeless crisis situation, I want you to notice what Paul does. We can learn from him for this storm that we are in. I read something this week called the 10-80-10 formula of a crisis. 10% of the people in a crisis emerge as leaders and influencers who make wise and helpful decisions, and we have many of those in our country, in our church. 80% of people in a crisis in this formula are paralyzed by fear and won't do anything until someone in authority tells them 
what to do. The last 10% of people in a crisis actually engage in counterproductive behaviors that make it harder for everyone else to actually deal with the crisis. Isn't that true? Don't you see people all the time that are not cooperating? So to, I'm encouraging you as a church, try to be in that top 10% on this one. Paul was definitely in that first 10%. He, he was such a great leader. And Paul does what every great leader does at a time like this. He speaks up and he leads. In verse 21, uh, the text says, after the men had gone a long time without food, so Paul waited for just the right moment, he stood up before them and said, man, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourself this damage and loss. I, I, I find it amusing that even the great apostle Paul couldn't help but insert, uh, I told you so, <laughs> in here. He said, but now I urge you to keep up your courage, Paul said, because not one of you will be lost, only the ship will be destroyed. Boy, it's a great lesson here, friend. The storm will only destroy that which you no longer need to live. I've always been fascinated by that, that, that last line. They are, here they are at sea battling this perfect storm for days. They're hungry, they're tired, discouraged. Paul says, hey, fellas, I got some good news. The Lord has told me that you won't die. Only the ship we're on will be destroyed. What? In verse 23 and 24, he tells them why they can have this confidence in the midst of the storm. I, can, I bet you they were wide-eyed when he said this. He said, I want to leave you with this message. And it's really one that I want to leave you with. Notice verse 29. It says, fearing that they would be dashed against the rocks... They dropped four anchors from the stern, and the sailors prayed for daylight. Isn't it funny how we pray when the storms come? Some of you have always been, always been people of prayer. Yay, God, for that. But this is the first time that some of you watching this have prayed in a long time. God got your attention. Besides pray, what else do you do when things look bleak and your ship is going down? Well, they dropped some anchors, and I want to give you some anchors to drop. You learn to attach yourself to something that's solid, secure, unchanging. If your anchor is in anything other than Jesus, prepare to be disappointed, friend. What made Paul such a confident person was because he lived his life based on some foundational anchors and truths that kept him connected to a man named Jesus. They use four anchors. Let me give you today four that will anchor you. The first anchor in a storm is God's presence. In the midst of the storm, Paul stood up and said this in verse 23. Last night, an angel of the God whose I am and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. God sent a personal message to say to Paul, hey, I'm with you. I see you in that stormy Mediterranean sea in that little ship. I have not forgotten about you. Some of you may think God has forgot about you. Isn't it comforting to know that no matter how high the waves may be on the storm-tossed seas of our life, that we have a God who stands with us and calls us by name. Hey, let me point out something important here. It says they hadn't seen the stars or the sun for 14 days because the storm clouds were between them and the stars. But you understand, right, that the stars and the sun were still shining? We, hey, friend, we live in Cincinnati. Those of you watching this, you understand this. We could go 14 days during the long winter without ever seeing the sun. Some of them and some of you are saying, I just wish the sun would shine again. Could I just say something to you? It will. 
because Jesus is with us. Listen, we may be in uncharted waters, but the one we follow walks on water. Don't fear. The second anchor in a crisis is found in verse 24 of this chapter where Paul quotes God's angel. Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. The second anchor, besides God's presence, is God's purpose. Paul uh, was told by God, I have a plan for your life. You're on board this ship because I have a higher purpose for you being on this ship. My purpose is for you not to drown. I have a purpose for your life that's bigger, that's greater than any temporary storm you're in. You're going to witness to Caesar. Paul later wrote to the Philippian Christians and he said this. It's a verse we can claim today. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So right now in the storm, my advice to you is focus more on your purpose than you do on your problems. When we start focusing on our problems, we begin drifting and discarding and despairing. But when we focus on our purpose, we begin and claim that God will use everything for our good and his purpose. Some of you are watching this have been laid off all already. Maybe you lost your job. You're fearful. With men, especially, this is a blow because work is where we find our purpose. But you got to know this, man or woman, employed or unemployed, God is at work even if you aren't. He's got a higher purpose. There's a third anchor that should give us confidence in a crisis. It's found in verse 25. Paul said, So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. The third anchor is God's promise. Storms cannot destroy, friend, the promises of God. God's promises are bigger than any of our problems. That's why you can have kind of this hashtag Corona calm. Some of you were already going through a dark valley before this devastating virus and storm hit. Now the waves have you going down for the last time. Let me say this to you. It may not be what you want to hear right now. So I hope you hear my heart. But you absolutely need to hear this truth. You may lose something. You may lose some or all of your valuable cargo that you clutched for so long that maybe you put your faith in. You may even lose the ship itself. You may get wet, but you're going to make it. Don't look for the undertaker. Keep your eye on the promise maker. Keep hope alive. Keep listening and watching that daily dose. Keep caring for people. We can claim his promises even when we can't meet on these premises because we're the church. There's a fourth anchor that happens at the end of Paul's storm story. I love this part. I wish I had time to unpack it more. He and the crew eventually wash ashore on an island called Malta, where the islanders showed unusual kindness to them, it says. I wish I had time to tell you about Paul getting bit by a snake and his miraculous recovery. Let me tell you, the virus, I'm not afraid of that. The snake bites, oh no. Well, he got bit by this snake while he was on the island and he recovered, but he had an opportunity even in that snake bite to witness to the chief official of the island. He healed that official's father who was suffering ironically from a fever and a virus. And when this happened, it says the rest of the sick on the island came and were also cured. I'm not sure how and when God will cure our country, but I know this for sure, there will be opportunities for us like Paul to be a witness to God if we will just be God's people. 
That's the fourth anchor. Never underestimate the power and the witness of God's people. The church working right. His presence, his promise, oh, uh, that's all important. But the people of God are an anchor of God in this perilous time. There was an old story about a struggling seminary student that I heard who was asked for an appointment with one of his favorite Bible college professors. They met, and after several minutes of small talk, the professor finally said, well, what can I help you with, son? The student replied, I guess I just don't need a solution to a specific problem. I guess I just needed an association with a triumphant spirit. That might be you today, friend. You need association with God's people. Stay connected. Let that be an anchor to the people of God in your life. The early church, that group of Christ followers, they didn't have a building. They didn't have a body like we have. They went through all kinds of storms of persecution. They didn't have technology, computers, but what they did have was this rock-solid belief that Jesus was their resurrected Savior, and they just went everywhere telling people about Jesus. Their serving projects were looking after orphans and widows in distress, in their distress, just like we are. Their power was community. Their inheritance was laid up in heaven in another world. That's where their ship was sailing. The combined forces, think about it now, the combined forces of persecution, pestilence, plagues over history could not eradicate the early church. 2,000 years later, the church of Jesus is still meeting, still growing, still flourishing, still leading people on a mission of help and hope. Friend, this is our faith ancestry. This is our spiritual DNA. And whether we meet in person or online, whether we are underground, undercover, under-resourced, underestimated, or overwhelmed, God has always had a people. Lots of things are canceled, but God and his people are not. Friend, the gospel's not quarantined. We might be, but the gospel's not. It cannot be contained. I'm encouraging you, don't live in isolation. That's the deadliness that is even worse than the storm. Connect in some socially allowed way with someone in need. Go into this zone of the unknown. Help somebody in Jesus' name on the ship who is afraid. Be bold, be brave. For some of you, you will even decide in coming days that you want to go all in, and we're going to figure out a way for you to do that. Friend, we all are in different boats. Some boats are bigger, some smaller. But I tell you what we all have in common, we're all enduring that same storm right now. So my dearly loved flock, trust God, trust your crew, anchor to the rock of ages. I said it in the last series. I think I could sneak it in again here. Hope is still the best dope. In fact, this is what Paul said in Romans 15. I'll close with this scripture. See if he doesn't sneak that in here. Here's what he said to the church in Rome. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. And then he finishes with this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you, I think in the original language, Paul said hope is still the best dope. Right there. I think it could be. Maybe not. Hey, I just want to tell you, I'm praying for you. I love you. I'm trying to be the best leader I can be. I know our staff are. Would you pray for us? We're praying for you. But friend, a lot of people think this is like the worst thing ever happened. I'm telling you right now, 
This could very well be, when we look back after this storm is over, the greatest thing that ever happened to the Big C Church and this church because we are now forced to put our anchors down in something that will outlive this world. And some of us, for the first time in our life, are putting our faith in Jesus, we're confessing our sin, we're repenting of that sin, and many of us will be baptized in the storm or after the storm. And I just can't wait to hear the stories because Jesus is better than the storm. <laughs>